Earlier this year, I travelled to Melbourne and the state of Victoria in Australia to explore the food provenance coming out of that part of the world. With Meat and Livestock Australia, I explored the farms to understand better where our Aussie lamb and beef comes from. And that started right from the get-go. Flying with Qantas on the A380 business class, I got to sample some of the in-flight food on their menu, being brought to every passenger via Neil Perry. Neil Perry has been consulting with Qantas for 18 years, and the relationship with the Rockpool restaurant in Australia has been first class. Hear more of my journey now as I attended many events hosted by the Victoria Invitation Programme, securing relationships with trade and business, and I begin at a dinner hosted by the Minister for Agriculture and Regional Development the Honourable Jalla Pulford. Minister of Agriculture and Development. Thank you for sparing a few moments. Lovely to talk to you. Just give us a quick overview of the event this evening. Well, the Agri Food Group, uh, who are members of a, a, an even larger delegation of inbound visitors, uh, are gathering tonight in Melbourne, a beautiful autumn evening it is, and we're bringing together some of our uh, industry leaders and exporters uh, with our guests, and whilst we're hoping to show our guests our beautiful city and uh, and a lovely evening with some of our finest wine and food. We're um, very much looking forward to the discussions that will happen at the dinner. The networking is so important for forging relationships that then lead to deals, uh, great trade opportunities for Victorian businesses and wonderful opportunities uh, for consumers around the world to enjoy our wonderful fresh produce. The state of Victoria is known for its great food and with often five seasons in one day, the conditions are ideal for growing a range of vegetables and rich, fertile soil. Tying in connections across the globe, Aussie beef exports in 2014 reached over 8,000 tonnes into the UAE and over 17,000 tonnes of lamb. I asked Minister Pulford, what's the vision for the relatively new government and the state of Victoria? Well, we've brought together for the first time the agriculture and the regional development portfolio. There are around 160,000 Victorians who derive their income from agriculture and food production. And there's a wonderful opportunity there uh, in the entire journey from uh, paddock or, vi- or vineyard or orchard uh, to people's tables, be it uh, local, locally or uh, in any other destination in the world, the finest restaurants in the world or, or produce that, uh, that a, a consumer in China has purchased online through a new e-commerce business. Uh, so our priority is around encouraging uh, our producers to tap into new export markets, to open those doors. We think we have wonderful produce. We, we're confident that it will compete very well on a global market and so we want to make those opportunities available to more and more of our producers. Do you have any numbers that you can give me on what is being exported at the moment? Well, our agricultural production is worth $11 billion to the Victorian economy. It's uh, close to half of all of our export uh, exported goods. Uh, it's a really significant part of uh, the Victorian economy. Uh, the work that is done uh, by producers and by people who work in the supply chain uh, is an enormous factor in regional economies and so 
uh, we're very keen to support them. The government has uh, identified six key growth areas that we believe will drive Victoria's future prosperity and food and fibre is one of those and as the Minister for Agriculture you won't be surprised to hear me say it's the most important of them. This event this evening I'm looking forward to it and the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival that I'm attending on Saturday as well and that's just a little slice of what you have to offer so really looking forward to seeing what you can showcase. Yes we're very proud of our Food and Wine Festival, we're very proud of our uh, producers who uh, across Victoria do a wonderful job but you'll find at the Food and Wine Festival we have different regions that specialise in different things and and there's some great local stories to be told about great produce. Uh, The other thing that's on this weekend uh, which is quite different to the Food and Wine Festival is of course the Formula One Grand Prix so there's always lots going on in Melbourne and lots going on in Victoria so I hope you have a lovely stay. Thank you very much Minister. On the menu that evening was Gippsland beef fillet served with heirloom Ballarat carrots, Thorpedale potato fondants and blue cheese and leek cigars with Yarra Valley Pinot juice. The Yarra Valley is less than an hour outside of Melbourne and I took a trip across the rolling hills strung with vines and secluded natural valleys to explore the meat and ingredients coming out of the lush green pastures. I met with Brett Sperling from Gateway Estate to speak with him about the cattle he's rearing but stopped off first to check out his farm shop. Brett begins by explaining what you can find when you visit the Yarra Valley. Yarra Valley is beautiful. It's the best place in the world. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, We are one hour from Melbourne. We've got the food. Every season's different. You know, autumn's a beautiful time of the year. Spring's a beautiful time of the year. Even winter's a beautiful time. Sitting in front of an open fire somewhere, a nice piece of steak. You know, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is. The seasons, the seasons are fantastic, yeah. So you've got things like local cheeses, Sierra Valley Dairy, do cheeses. Mm. Not too sure where else you're going to. You go in there, cool. Well, we, we stock their products. Um, local trout, there's a trout farm. We get, the, we get their local trouts. A whole range of preserves and sauces and jams, all local local biscuits, uh, there's so many small boutique producers producing beautiful product. Um, it's great. Fig and grape paste. Wonderful. With cheese, have that with cheese. Yes. Well, we've got some really good pictures share on the blog. Starting from the top, we run our, our mince, we've got some eye fillet, we do some dice stewing, which is our chuck and our brisket, um, as a, a small eye fillet there. We make our own meatloaf from, from our beef. Then we run our Scotch fillet, um, porterhouses, rump. Then we also do some barbecue steaks, so some marinated ones, which we typically cut out of the round or the bowler blade as well. Um, then we have some of our stewing things like our um, gravy beef. We always have a stir fry, as I mentioned, oyster blade before, which is one of my favourite cuts. And then, of course, our roasts. Mm. Uh, we also corn our corn gerillos normally. We normally marinate our roasts, so silver side roasts as well. Um, then we do our, our sausages, which are a beef and veggie sausage, and we also do them as a preservative-free sausage as well, uh, which is, again, it's a, it's a huge market. People are, are worried about what they're eating and what they put in their bodies, and so we try to keep those things as natural as possible. The Yarra is known for dairy and fruits, and Brett grows strawberries, along with capsicums and basil. And what isn't sold is used as feed for his cattle, so nothing is wasted. Two of the cheeses I tried whilst in the Yarra Valley were the Persian feta and vintage savarine. Fresh, creamy, with a saltiness to pinch the palate. When I come back, we head to the fields to see Brett's cattle and learn about the life and treatment of the cattle, as I learn about the food chain from farm to fork in the state of Victoria to the UAE.
On a recent trip to the state of Victoria, I headed to the Yarra Valley to learn about the fine produce the Yarra is famous for. Brett Sperling of Gateway Estate, having shown me the farm shop and the greenhouses, we head to the fields to learn about his cattle. Butcher them, cry back and down, and we sell it all directly out of the shop here. So none of our meat ends up anywhere else. So for us, it's all it's very boutique farming. We run around about uh, 50 head, or up to 50 heads, probably about what we peak out at, yeah. And so a lot of people come in for our meat for a number of different reasons. You know, one, the meat quality, because we do free-range them and we do dry-age it, so the quality seems very good. Um, we tend to sort of like to fatten up to around about 500 kilos, which we find we get some nice marbling coming through around about that point. Um, other people come in just for animal welfare. They know we free-range our cows. They know we handle them a lot. Then we know we don't stress when we send them off on a truck, you know, so they're... they're not stressed at all either so uh, people come in for that reason as well and then we have the others come in because they're local but they just like to buy local so there's a whole lot of reasons why people support our our meat yeah, yeah. did you want to go for a walk and have a look or we can yeah. just go through? yeah you do yep yeah the rain clouds didn't deter us as myself and my traveling companions headed out into the fields in search of the cattle as we were walking along i asked brett how long he's been farming we're not farmers traditionally. Yeah. We've actually we had a life change around about um, 15 years ago. Um, I suppose my dad started here on 10 acres, which was a hobby farm, which is was around about 30 years ago, and that 10 acres has grown to 110 acres. Okay, and then around about 15 years ago, we sold the previous business and we decided to start farming. So that's when we set up the greenhouse and and started to do more farming as a commercial enterprise yeah but once we sold the previous business we thought we wanted to do something from home something work something from home we just looked at you know we had the land we had the position um we didn't want a huge big business we just wanted something we could manage ourselves. and so we looked around and we came up with some um, hydroponics as the answer you know, there's um there's growing hydroponically there is now these cows you can guarantee are going to be in the furthest corner <laughs> to where we walked in and the, we were coming <laughs> the same thing happened to me yesterday oh, no, I'm sorry Monday I had to send some out and the cattle grates, the cattle yards are there and the cows are in that corner there <laughs> they seem to sense something I'm an instrument technician by trade an electronic instrument technician so it's a lot of process control and measurement equipment which we used to import and export and manufacture and do all sorts of things with. Okay. And I suppose that's probably one of the reasons we went hydroponics, because it's still quite a technical business. No, still can't find them. And the, the grass, where are we? We're autumn now, so... Uh... Yes, we're coming out of summer, yeah. so we're starting to... Well, it's starting a little bit of green back, actually. Oh, there they are. Well, of course, they'll follow the tractor over. You can see they're quite friendly. They'll just follow us around. Um, well, there might be a little bit of stranger danger with you people here. They probably won't be quite as... They might go microphone shy on me. They might do that. They do tend <laughs> to be... You're going to interview way. them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the grass is turning, is it? Yeah, well, we'll it'll actually die off a bit through summer. So well, through summer, it starts to slow right down. We get a little bit of a kick through autumn. Yeah. Um, and then it'll die off again through winter. Uh-huh. And then we hit spring, which is when we get our, we get our real, um, real grass growth. We kept on going, heading towards the cattle, the Angus breed, and Brett explains the meat that comes from the beast. The Angus breed, um, it's, it's, it's known for its, its eating quality, um, basically, but it also yields quite well as well. So um, we, used to, we originally started with Murray Gray's years ago when it was a hobby farm, 
when we went to actually meat production, our research told us that Angus was the way to go. Um, so yeah, certainly the meat quality um, and the yield um, tends to be very good on them. Yeah. And they, do, they do fatten up quite nicely too. They just get that nice shape to them. These are only young, these ones. These are uh, probably a good six months off, six to eight months off being ready. Um, once they get through spring, they'll really put some size on. Um, so what we're... We'll probably have a look in this paddock over here. I think there's a few left there which will go out in the next load. And you'll see the difference in size in these ones. These are probably pushing 550 kilos. Yeah. So they've got a beautiful place to live. They have got a beautiful Haven't place they? to live, yes. <laughs> As have we, quite spoiled. <laughs> sort of rolling hills and vast open space. And, and I'm lucky enough to live just so you can see the back of my shed just there. So I'll live right in the middle of it. Oh, he's a, he's a big boys. Yeah. These are down to just four in this paddock, I think. So they might be getting a little bit flighty. Yeah. They tend to do that when they get the herd gets smaller. Come on, come on. There's a small one there. Do you see the other ones there are just, um, we've got five in at the moment. There's two small ones in here out of that herd. And you can see that nice one there, looking up at us. Yeah. So we've got to get a picture of these beauties. How old did you say? Uh, that's a young one. Yeah. That one's probably only around about 12 months. Yeah. Or a little bit over. Uh, but the big one there, he'd be pushing over two years now. Uh-huh. Around that mark. And he'd be pushing probably a bit over 500 kilos. So what age do they, are you, they slaughtered? Around, well, that one there's ready to go. Yeah. So that one looking at us now, that big one there. Yeah. He's just a nice age. So he'd be a bit over two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one next to him is a small one. Um, but the other two down the back there will be similar in size to um, the big one there. They're all fairly even, those three. And there's the two small ones there. And they'll go out in about three weeks. We do about, about one a week we do. And so they go out and then... So it goes to an abattoir, because by law we have to do that. They have have to be killed in an abattoir. Um, And then we use two different butcher shops to actually do our processing for us. And the reason we use two is because we hang it. It, That fills up their cooler rooms. And and so we actually just rotate between the two two different butchers. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay. Both do a really good job for us. He returns it to us. Every... Every piece of meat comes back to us and it all gets sold out of our fridge and out of our own farm gate shop. Mm. Yeah. So off this beast, how much are you talking yield then? What are you getting? Um, well, the body will come back. So let's say he weighs a bit over 500 kilos. Um, the cold carcass will come back at around about 300. Um, and then that will yield out at somewhere around about 150, 160 kilos of packaged meat. Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? The, the emotional side of what you think there's an animal and it's going to be slaughtered. But the point is we eat meat and we understanding and respecting where your food comes from. And this is a great opportunity for us to kind of tell that, that story. Yeah, and absolutely. And that's one of the things I mentioned that a lot of customers come to us because they know we handle their beef. They know um, that they've, they've looked after and well-maintained. Um, and that's a big thing to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, a lot of our customer base is, is coming for that reason. 
Um, and a lot of people say to me, how, how do you do that? How can you send them off? And I know how I look after the cows. I know they're well treated. And I know from the day they come out what's going to happen to them. So I, I can live with that. I can live with that. If they were somewhere else, they might not be getting looked after as well and the same thing's going to happen to them. And it does make a difference how that animal has lived in the, if it's led, a, you know, if it's had a stressed life, then that will show in the flavour and the quality of the meat. Absolutely. Absolutely does. Um, we, we won't send an animal off if it doesn't want to go on the truck. So if, if we've got it in the yards here and it's running around and it's stressed and it won't go where we want it to go, it doesn't leave. It stays there <laughs> until it's ready to, until it's adjusted enough that it's happy to get on the truck and go. Um, if we've got a force onto a truck, then it's not ready as far as we're concerned. Yeah. And we have had animals that we've had to, um, we haven't sent off. We've had to deal with them here on the property, um, which means we then just consume that meat ourselves. That ends up in our own fridges because legally we can't sell that. So, yeah. um, because there's nothing worse than seeing a, a stressed animal. Mm. 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 They're eating grass. Or, yeah, yeah, they're grass yeah. fed. Or yeah, grass fed. Um, they do get the scraps out of the shop and also the scraps out of our hydroponics, out of our capsicum crop, and they love that. They'll see that come in. They'll gallop out to it. <laughs> it's quite funny. Yeah. They do love it. And to see him actually pick up a capsicum and roll it around their mouth is, uh, <laughs> is interesting too. Understanding where your meat comes from. For more information on the Gateway Estate and the state of Victoria, check out the pictures and the cattle and recipe ideas for Aussie beef and lamb at DubaiEye1038.com forward slash Dubai Today. Whilst visiting farms in the state of Victoria, seeing where Aussie lamb and beef comes from, I also got to taste a fair amount of it too. From mini Gippsland mignon with Yarra Valley pate and sourdough croute to pasture-fed Angus beef tenderloin with Swiss chard potato puree with shiitake mushroom butter. Inspiring recipes and understanding where our food comes from, I caught up with Chef Tim Holland at one of the Victoria Invitation Programme events, connecting Asian trade with producers. I find out how to cook the perfect steak, Tsuve style. I need a meat contingency here. Are you going to be, do you want to watch this about the meat? What I thought I'd show you guys is how to cook steak like perfectly. I've, um, I've been doing tours around Asia and teaching people how to do it in the pan. It's quite tricky. You know, if you, if you haven't cooked lots and lots of steaks before, it takes some experience by touch and feel and how long it's in the pan. So uh, necessity being the mother of all inventions, I'm not allowed to use any fire in here for this cooking demonstration. So I tell you, I've been challenged. I've been challenged. So what I've come up with is a method called sous vide. Do you know what sous vide is? Okay, sous vide is a way of cooking meat. So when you're thinking of rare, medium, well done, any of those, those concepts are really how well cooked the centre of the meat is. Okay, Can everyone hear me all right? Yeah. So how cooked the centre of the meat is, that's what matters the most. So 50 degrees is uh, rare, 55 is medium rare, and 60 would be medium and so forth and so forth. Here's some what I call tender cuts. You've got the ribeye. You've got Scotch fillet, you've got porterhouse, and you've got eye fillet. All right. So these these cuts really don't want to be eaten over 60 degrees. That's about medium. Any more than that, it's wasted. If you want to cook meat for longer, you want to get those other cuts. They're called chef cuts that require longer cooking, braising techniques. But these 
very expensive, very tender cuts. And they all have different characteristics. Um, you know, some people love the porterhouse the best. It's got a nice bit of fat on the outside. It's a very nice meaty flavour. The eye fillet is super tender, probably the tenderest of them all. It's very buttery. So, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to overcook these and they're going to be ruined. So the way around this is sous vide cooking, okay? So you can do a do-it-yourself uh, uh, do style cooking with sous vide and all you need is a pot of water, a thermometer, alright? Now this thermometer's got an alarm on it, so if it goes over 60, the alarm will go off and I'll quickly pour some cold water in. If it goes under 50, I can top it up. So, you need either something like this that can generate a very low heat, just a simmer, or lower than a simmer, or not much space here, a very traditional Australian cooking utensil or implement is an esky. So eskies keep things really cold, but they also keep things really hot. So what I can do is, I'll get to how you do it. So what I want to do is get the core of my meat at about 60 degrees, and no more than that. And this is the fail-safe way, you cannot stuff this up, okay? So, what I do is get my water to 60 degrees, all right? And to keep it at 60 degrees, it's very hard because if you got it on a stove top, it goes up and down and fluctuation's no good. So you get yourself an esky or a cooler like this. Oh, sorry. Okay. And you've got to cryvac your bit of meat. Now, some people have got cryvacers at home, but you can do it yourself as well. All you need is a Ziploc bag like this, right? Then you put sandwiches in and you just get your fillet and pop it in, like that. Now what you need to do is displace the air, all right? So you just drop it in with the, with the top of it open. Hang on a second. I'm crowded for space, hold on. You get the fillet in the bag and you drop it in cold water. Keep dropping it down, as you drop it down, the air will come out, it's forced out through displacement, right? And as it's, as you're getting to the top of it, I'm zipping the bag shut. And that is kind of a makeshift crowback, right? So there's no air in that. I mean, you wouldn't want to store meat like this, it won't work. Um, eventually the bag will break open or, or whatnot. But you can get home crowbackers to do this, you know, you get them from the, uh, from the hardware stores or whatever. You get that, and you drop it in your water that's at 60 degrees, right? Put this in, you can get these from hardware store. It's got a very strong cord. That sort of cord can stick out of an oven, it won't burn or anything like that. So that's about $50 for one of those. You pop it in there and you seal it shut. That should keep the heat for at least an hour. So if you're cooking steaks like this, see how the alarm's going off? It's told me that it's dropped down so I can I can measure, I'll drop down, get a boiling uh, kettle and put some more hot water in there. Um, right, so you got it in there. So about an inch thick steak will go for about one hour and that's plenty. That's enough time for the, meat to the heat to penetrate all the way through. If you've got a thicker bit, it'll be two hours. If you want to do, a, sorry, a leg or a shoulder of lamb, you can do that as well. But what you buy then is a special sous vide circulator and they're expensive. It's a, a uh, sort of a utensil you put into a big bucket and it will heat the water and, and fan it and rotate it through 
and if the temperature gets too high, it cuts out. If it gets too low, it keeps it very even. You can keep things in them for 72 hours or even longer. Okay, so have we got that sort of idea of how this works? So esky or something like that, as long as it doesn't get hot. If it goes to 75, you've ruined it, all right? It's gone. It's overcooked. So I've got some in here. I did an hour ago. Now they look pretty ugly when they come out, alright? They're not pretty. They're not pretty. But they get better. So, really, if you want to have a really nice tasting steak, you need to get that crusty caramelisation on top because that's what makes sort of meat and fish and uh, sort of any lamb, any meat dishes taste really good. You want to get nice caramelisation. So traditionally, how we used to cook steaks, throw it in a hot pan, you get that nice crust, and that gives the, the great flavour that carries through the meat. But this, you don't have that. So, there's two ways of doing this. You take your meat out. Now, it just looks fairly grey at the moment. So, there's two ways of doing it. You can actually throw this straight into a pan, a hot, hot pan, like hotter than the sun, you know. Uh, perhaps with a little bit of butter and a little bit of oil, and Within about 30 seconds, you're going to get a nice crust. And then you flip it over and it's ready to serve. You don't need to rest this at all. It'll be the even, even colour the whole way through. Uh, again, I'm restricted. So I've got to blow torch it, okay? So, and we just have to be careful. <laughs> so this is the way people do it as well in restaurants. And it's a great way because you can portion control. You can do all your prep on a Monday, right? So the chefs can prepare all this food and then anyone can cook a perfect steak because as long as that temperature's right, you're going to be fine. All right, I'm a bit nervous about this, to be honest. So, this is called the, uh, what's it called, the Maillard effect. It's basically the caramelization of the sugars and the amino acids. You can see it's all browning up. And it's quite fun to do at home, you know, you give everyone a little blowtorch, $20, and they brown their meat. I was told no cooking in here, alright, so. But this will definitely give the flavour that you're looking for in a steak, and also the colour. If you don't know what you're doing in a pan, and you throw a steak in the pan, you've, if you're not continuously turning and monitoring it, what will happen is you'll get a couple of mil of very well done beef, and then you'll have the centre bit that will be medium. This way you get an even medium the whole way through. Obviously I still need to season it as well with a little bit of salt and pepper. There it goes. Cooking is all about getting colour, colour is flavour. Always look for getting a nice caramelised colour on your meat. You can get hotter blowtorches in this as well. Does that not affect the flavour? No. You know when you do cream brulees? You can, actually some gases you can't use, but you, when you go to a hospitality place just make sure you check. Okay. So.
Always loves cracked pepper steak. Plenty of it. We still need to season it. Now, I did this a bit over medium because I thought that's what most people would like to try. So, so, you can see how it's only got a very thin crust and it's not leaking any juice at all. So, it's a really easy way of cooking a steak. I did it for a dinner party the other day. You can put 15 of them in a pot. Just make sure the temperature doesn't go. Just remember, 50 for rare, 55 for medium rare, and this is about 61, 62. I wanted to get it a little bit higher because I know a lot of people like them quite cooked. But you only get a very thin crust on top, and it's really tender. You can do chicken, you can do fish, you can do vegetables. You can do lots. So a lot of people in Europe are using this technique because you can do all your portions in advance. You can actually even sear it and then sous vide it. But you have to refresh the crust because it goes a little bit soggy. Yeah, that's it, guys. So fantastic. Thank you.